Beautiful. Do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can. We've got Bibles in baskets down on the floor by your feet. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. So now we're heading toward Easter, and we want to prepare our hearts for uh, the Easter experience, and we want to get ourselves ready to live intentionally and invite other people into the saving love of God that we're aware of as a Christian community. And so we're, we're doing a handful of messages now to really help us embrace this uh, calling that God has given to us. So Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 13 to 16, I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pray, and we will get to work. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the calling that you've given us as believers to demonstrate what you're like in this watching world. And I pray for my friends, for my church family, I pray for us, Lord, that you would help us to embrace this high calling, and that we would be very strategic and intentional with seeking to live out this beautiful way of life that's going to draw other people to your Son. And we pray, God, that you would help us over the course of these several weeks to get better and better at both living and talking about our Savior. Um, we pray right now that your spirit would be working in each of our hearts, that you would help us to hear your voice, that you would speak to us through your word, and that you would change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to point out to you is that we have this call. We've got this incredible call that God has given to us, that he is telling us we get to interact with the world in a way that actually the world is going to benefit from it. That we have this calling to be salt and light, and so when we go into the world, people will see something of the goodness of God on display in the essence of who we are as believers. And he gives two different metaphors, and they help us to understand kind of how we're to interact with the world. The first one is that we're called to be salt. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Now, in, in the uh, ancient Near East, they used salt for a handful of things, two, two big ones that, that you should be aware of. The first is they used it as a preservative. That They didn't have you know, an LG refrigerator, so they couldn't go to the market. They couldn't go to Meijer and pick up some fish and bring it home and go, hey, I found this thing on sale. I'm going to toss it in the fridge, and sometime this week, we'll cook it up. They, if they caught a huge, you know, hull of fish, they couldn't just say, look, we're going to deep freeze them, we're going to throw them in our freezer, and then we'll kind of ration them out as we want them. No, what they had to do in the ancient Near East was they had to, when they had meat, they would take salt, and they would rub it into the meat to preserve it. Salt is a pres preservative that prevents things from decaying. And so, you know, like you go to the, the gas station, you get the beef jerky, and you th if you think about it, isn't it weird? There's meat that's sitting at a gas station for who knows how long, and then you just eat it, and you're like, oh, this is yummy, and it's super salty, but that's a part of what's going on. They, they did a process to it in order to preserve this meat, and that's what salt is able to do. It's able to be a preservative. And so when God says, you're the salt of the earth, one of the things we need to recognize is that God has placed us in the world to prevent decay. It's kind of a radical notion, but, but God has placed you where you're at in a way that as a Christian, you actually can influence the organization and the people that you work with, and you can do that in a way that actually prevents 
uh, society from kind of getting worse than it currently is. Isn't that wild? That you actually get to, as a Christ follower, help other people think about the fact that there is a God and he does make demands on our lives and, and the living with him is actually beautiful. Let, let me just point it out this way. You guys are aware of how this works, right? That when somebody finds out you're a Christian, what do they do? They edit their language. You know, they cuss in front of you and they, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, no, it's fine. Like, I, that doesn't bug me too much. But they, you're this preservative that if, if they're aware that you're a Christ follower, they're conscious then of there's a God and this individual represents that God to me. And it, and it can actually be a good thing. So as you go into, even in your family or your workplace, you actually get to be this delegate of God himself, and you're acting as a preservative so that people are thinking through, hey, we were going to do this, we were going to cut costs in this way, we were going to gain some profit here, but I know that so-and-so isn't going to be on board with it. I know that they're going to have a problem with us doing this in an unethical way. And it causes them to have to wrestle with, am I going to move forward anyways, or are we going to make some adjustments here? You, by your very presence, can actually help your company, your workplace, the people that you interact with, experience something of the goodness of God. And so salt serves as a preservative, but it's also a flavor. Uh, it's something that, you know, you can season food and it improves it. I, you know, don't, don't kill me for this, but I'm not actually a fan of popcorn. Uh, my wife loves it. She is crazy about it. I think she'd eat popcorn every day of her life. For me, popcorn is like, uh, it's okay. But if you put enough butter on it and enough salt on it, if you go to the movie theater and you just douse the thing, then game on, right? This stuff is really tasty. Or kettle corn, when you start throwing sugar in there too, that's my jam. But ordinarily, it's just kind of, to me, it's kind of bland. And if people are eating popcorn without salt, to me, that's weird. But you put some salt on it, and all of a sudden, there's flavor to it. It's better. It's improved. And you can do that with a lot of things. I mean, just odd things like, like watermelon. You put salt on watermelon, and all of a sudden, the flavor just comes alive. Or uh, I found out recently, my wife and her family did this. And, and so as an adult, I figured this out. I felt like I was robbed my entire childhood. You put salt on pizza, and all of a sudden, the pizza has even more flavor, and it's delicious. So salt is something that you can place in a situation, and it actually enhances things. That's a part of our calling as Christians, that God puts us in the world and we actually get to do something that is supposed to bring an improvement to the scenarios that we're in, so that people can begin to have this sense of what it would be like to experience God, and by your very presence, you are the salt of the earth. Isn't that wild to saying, you are, you. He was talking to a group of people and he's saying, this is for you guys, you get to be this. You get to be the salt of the earth. You get to be the light of the world. That's the second metaphor that he uses here. He calls us light. In verse 14, it says, You are the light of, a, of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Christians are people who have this calling to be light. And light is a metaphor all throughout Scripture to talk about the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the, the perfection of God. And he's saying, we... You and I, we actually get to communicate those attributes of God to the watching world. It says in 1 John that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And it goes on to talk about how people who claim to have a relationship with God, yet walk, continue to walk in darkness, they're very confused. They're actually lying to themselves and deceiving themselves. 
Christians are people who are walking in the light of God, and we then get to display that light to a watching world. So people are looking to you, and they're going, what would it be like to live under God's rulership? Is it, is it, in, is it going to be an improvement? Is it going to make my life better? Is it going to be more beautiful and more compelling than how I presently do things? I like to be in charge. What would it be like to have God in charge? And people are looking at your, your life and how you, how you handle yourself and, and how you go about all these different things. And they're, they're wondering what it's like. You then become this kind of a moral compass that people look to you thinking, what would it be like to know God? Um, when, I, when I had the privilege of visiting the Holy Lands, I remember our tour guide taking us to an area on the Sea of Galilee. It was a little natural amphitheater, and we all sat down, and it could have been the very place where Jesus would have done this, this sermon. And we were sitting there, and the tour guide was saying, you know, talking about the details of the area and all of this stuff. And I remember the tour guide kind of pointing off in the distance and saying, hey, right over there, if you look up the, in that direction, there's a city that's there. And in the evening time, you can look over there and you can see the light of that city. And that was, she was explaining and, and she was saying, um, and here's why that's important, because the way they did their keeping of time back then was different. Their day wouldn't start in the morning, it would start the previous evening. So Sunday, our Sunday, it wouldn't have started when you woke up this morning, it actually would have started last night, last, yesterday evening. And they needed then to have a way to decide when one day ended and the next day began because they didn't have, you know, cell phones that would tell them or watches that would tell them, but they would have these cities that are up on a hill that would, when they would light their little, you know, lighthouse kind of thing, then all the other towns could look and go, okay, the workday's over. And that's an important thing, especially for a culture that was trying to keep the Sabbath and trying not to work on that day of rest. And so there was a moment where they looked and they said, lights on. We're done working for the day. And they would then look to this city on a hill to help them understand what time it was. And I don't know if that's true or not. It's not in the Bible, but it's just a unique little thing that a tour guide told me in the Holy Lands. At any rate, it's helpful because it helps us to see that is what a Christian is called to do. People are looking to us and they're going, I, I'm, I'm going to see what they do. I'm going to look at them and see how they interact with this world, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what, what happens, and I'm going to see this, this light in their life, and, and I'm going to look and see, is it really good? Um, do, they, do they respond in, in, in a way that commends God? They're going to keep looking to you. They're going to keep looking at your life going, does this reflect beauty and goodness? Does this reflect what God is like? And if so, is that a good thing, and should I try it out? So we have this high calling then, as Christians, to embrace this way of life as salt and light, commending Christ to a watching world. Now, this calling here is something that we are very passionate about uh, in this setting. We, as a campus, we've decided we want to make this our MO. Like, we're, we're probably never going to have these crazy, highly produced services like we can do in Beloit, but what we can do is we can hijack the lives of everyone who comes, and then we can send you guys out, and you guys can go and reach the world. And we design our services to that end. We think, okay, what would happen if we, we treated Sunday morning as a time to equip you in order to deploy you and scatter you out into the workforce tomorrow? So you guys get to go to all these different places to go sell property, to go work in a laboratory, to go work as an engineer, to go do all of these different things. And, and the reach then of our church is pretty significant. 
If everyone buys in and we say, look, let's do that. Let's recognize we're salt and light and, and let's live this thing out. Let's try to be intentional with letting the, the, the life of God in us be on display to a watching world. Now, this isn't a unique place in the Bible where this shows up. This is actually, I think, a major theme, that the people of God have always had this high calling. Later on in the ministry of Jesus, he reiterated this fact. He was about to go to the cross, and so he was spending time with his closest followers, and he was preparing them for that moment, and he began to pray, and that prayer was documented for us. And he was praying out loud for them, but also for us. In fact, in that prayer in John 17, he says, I don't only pray for these people right here. I also pray for everyone who will come after them. I'm praying for, Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that you guys would embrace this reality. And here's what he says. This is John 17, verses 15 to 18. This is what Jesus is praying for his followers. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is what Jesus is praying for us. He's saying, look, I don't want them to be extracted from the world. I don't want them to have to leave all of their relationships and all of the networks that they've had in their life. And I don't just want to pull them out. I actually want them to be in the world. But I want them to be different, so I'm praying that you would protect them from the evil one who will try to manipulate them and distract them and get them off track. I'm, I'm praying that you would be set apart and sanctified, that you would be uniquely different from everything else so that people see you and they, they, they think about God. He's praying for us because he has been sent and now he sends us. This is a big, big thing, I think, in the Bible, that the people of God are really the missionary people. God has given us the assignment. He has a mission to seek and save the lost, and he co-ops us into that mission, and our lives then can become this platform for God's grace to be on display. Jesus prays in that direction. This is such an important thing for us. So as a church, we spend a lot of time thinking about this and praying about this and trying to prepare our people for it. You get to be on mission. That's the language we use, on mission with God. And we want to use our ordinary lives to accomplish that. We believe that the places that you work, God has put you there on purpose. It's your assignment. But you, as you embrace this reality of being belonging to God, you get to actually live in a way that tells other people about him. And you even get to open your mouth and, and literally tell other people about who God is. Um, so here's my question then. How can we grow in our ability to be salt and light? What should we be doing then if we think this is true and God is saying, yep, you're, you're my people, you are salt, you are light. How could we grow in our awareness of this identity, in our confidence that God is going to use us, and in our ability to live this thing out? And, and I'm going to give you just a, a couple real brief suggestions. I think one thing you should be doing is coming to church. Uh, I think that church is a place where if we keep re rehearsing this truth, it actually builds you up. It actually should inspire you to go and live your life differently. Um, but I think church, I think the gathering is an important feature of being prepared to live as salt and light. But I also think you need a team of people. Um, in my group this week, we were talking about this, and, and a couple people said, you know what, I've been inspired lately to actually try to do this stuff. 
And they were saying, you know, part of it, I think, is because of this group. We keep talking about it, and we keep talking about our lives. So we're talking about these places of employment, these people we come in contact with. And every week we keep talking about it, so it's finally clicking. I guess I'm going to go do this thing. But I think you need some people who are close enough to your life that are going to encourage you in this direction, because you can nod your head during a sermon and go, yeah, that's really cool. And then Monday morning rolls around, you go, yeah, I don't really want to do that. That sounds hard. That's, a, that's, a, that's disruptive. Like, I just want to, you know, put my head down, do my work, and then come home and, and, and do my thing. I don't really want to live that strategically. But I think having a team of people will help you. I also think that um, personal devotions, doing spiritual disciplines, God, if you get into his word, if you pray, if you fast, if you journal, if you practice solitude, is all these different spiritual disciplines that God has given to us, I think should inspire us to be on mission with him. And I think when we're doing it right, that's one of the outcomes, that we want to be people who are on mission with God. Um, so we have this awesome, awesome calling to be the salt and to be the light. But there's a warning here. There's actually a couple warnings tucked into the metaphors. Just because we are called to do this doesn't mean we always do it well. There are some pitfalls for us to be aware of. And the first is that our distinctiveness can be lost that what makes us Christian and what makes us savory and what makes us able to preserve things from decaying can be lost, that we can be calling ourselves believers, but we become diluted. We become less than what God intends for us. So in verse 13, it says, You're, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt has this property about it that can do certain things, but if you lose the saltiness of that reality, it's not really useful anymore. Now, this is, Jesus is not giving a little science les lesson here, because if you, like Suzanne, she's a lab scientist, she comes to our church, she could say, you know, actually salt doesn't, you know, you can't lose saltiness. Salt doesn't become unsalt. It's very stable. It doesn't, you know, become something else. What Jesus is saying is that it is possible for people to not be who they're supposed to be. In, the, in their, the first century, they didn't have refineries. They didn't have places where you'd gather up all the salt and you'd refine it and you'd end up with this perfectly pure product. They were probably just chopping slabs of rock from places with a high concentration of salt and it was a mixture then. And what he's saying is that you, you could have this thing that you think is salt but it could, it could become diluted, and then you go to put it on your steak or your fish, and it doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't preserve the meat, and it doesn't make it taste any better. It's lost its salt. It's white. It's powdery, but it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And, and, and that's the reality that we as Christians can lose our ability to be distinct, that we can actually become so like everything else that there's nothing unique about us. There's nothing that... Is in, that, that makes an improvement on the places that we go. We can, we can become so like the world, so accommodating to the things that are going on, that we go into the, the workforce and we do things the exact same as everyone else. We, get, you know, we, we just behave like an unbeliever. We can lose our saltiness. So I was thinking about it in my car a few minutes ago, my, my mobile office, and uh, as I was thinking through this, I was like, okay, so, so Tim is an engineer. And as salt and light, when he's at work, uh, people should be looking at him going, man, here's a Christ follower, and this is what it looks like to follow Christ, and, and we can throw projects at him that are bogus, 
and things that aren't fun, and he finds a way to make an improvement there. And when people are underperforming on the team or the project has a broken process, Tim responds with this gentleness, this grace about him, and this ability to make an improvement. And that's what it looks like to be salt. But here's the reality that I think is true of all of us. We can have that sort of experience and fail to live up to the calling, right? That I can be in a situation where I should be in an improvement, where people are looking and going, okay, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. But I can actually behave in the same exact way that, a Christian, that an unbeliever would. And I can just get, I can get frustrated, or I can be short-tempered, or I can do all these different things. Um, so we need to be people who, because they're watching us, and we don't want to lose our distinctiveness. People are watching us to see what is it like to live with God. Jane works, I don't even know what she does, but I know it's really hard, and she has clients, and she's uh, in a management position now, and um, has people that she has to oversee, and I know it's very challenging for her, but everyone should be looking to her going, what is it like to, to live as a Christian? What is it like to, to go through all of these challenges with Christ? And so the, the, that's what people are doing. Most unbelievers, they don't give a rip about Jesus right? We used to have in the 90s, do you guys remember the WWJD bracelets? And we'd all wear them around. We'd think, okay, what would Jesus do? And, and it would kind of inform our decision making. What would Jesus do here? N- nobody gives a rip. Your, your unbelieving coworkers aren't sitting around going, hmm, I wonder what Jesus would do. But they are sitting around going, what would Jane do? Right? What would you do? What, what, is, what are the Christians doing when things are hard? What are the Christians doing when they're going through suffering? What is it like to live under God's rulership? And they're looking to us because we actually get to display to the watching world what God is like. But the warning here is it is possible for us to fail to live up to it. It's very possible for us to not be distinct. We just look like everyone else. We, 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 when, when things go poorly, we get angry, we get frustrated, we fail to live out this distinctive reality of the Spirit of God in us filling us with joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. We, we fail to live out the fact that we know the living God and he walks with us through life. So our distinctiveness can be lost and we need to be careful of that. I think it's very easy to be unintentional when we're going to work or anywhere that God would send us. Here's a second warning here. And it's the reality that light can be hidden. In the second metaphor, it talks about how light is something that illuminates stuff and that's why, that's why there's a city on a hill and you can see that, but you don't take a lamp and light it and then put it under a bowl. You don't take a light source and then put it in your house and then kind of partition it off from everything else and go, look, I don't want anything else to get this light on it. That's not how it's supposed to work, but Christians can do that, can't we? We can begin to think about isolating ourselves. We try to extract ourselves and we go, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm a Christian and I, I want to be holy like God is holy, so I'm going to be very careful of these environments that I go into. Isn't it odd that one of the most severe critiques that Jesus got in his life and ministry was that he spent too much time with sinners? And Christians need to be people then who, because we're different and called to be with Christ, we actually go into the world and we display what, what, what it's like, what the light is like. We show people the beauty of God. We don't want to hide what we have. We want to be engaged in the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he was a pastor, he, he's an author, he, he was martyred for his faith, but he wrote this. He said, a community of Jesus which, which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. 
when we think we're going to withdraw and get away from other people, we are not following Christ. Christ is the sent one who came into the world and spent his time with unbelievers, with sinners, with, with people who are, you know, really sketchy in a lot of different ways, and the religious people had a hard time with it. At this church, we want to be a place where religious people have a hard time with us because we want to be where the brokenness is. We want to be where Christ is, where he's at work, and we want the light to shine. We want to be careful not to withdraw. So those two warnings, we can lose our distinctiveness and we can hide our light, but we want to do things differently because there's an, there's an awesome outcome here. And the outcome, the aim of this thing, is that by our very living in faith in the Son of God, it can improve the world that we live in. It can prevent decay. We can be the agents of change in the world. John Stott put it like this. He said, when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and criticize the non-Christian world. But should we not rather criticize ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It can't do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? As the world is falling apart, as things get less and less Christian, as we move from a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture, and we move away from some of the teachings of the Scripture, we shouldn't be people who are freaking out. We should be people who are moving toward in order to reveal what true faith really looks like. As a pastor, I'm actually excited about this. I think it makes my life easier. I don't just want a bunch of people who can call themselves Christians. I want a bunch of people who say, we are Christians, and we're living this thing out in, in a real and profound way. And so we need to be people who are going into the world, and the aim then, the goal, the outcome of this way of life is we can actually make a difference. We can, we can shine a light. We can be salt. We can shine a light. And here's what's awesome. By our doing that, Jesus gives us a little promise here. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. People are going to watch you and they're actually going to worship God. That's awesome. They're going to watch your life and they're going to be drawn. They're going to realize this isn't, you, this isn't just something that you pulled off. This is something that God is doing through you. And, and they're going to praise God then. They're going to see your good deeds, but they're going to praise the Father in heaven. Um, that's, that's pretty incredible. You can actually be somebody who helps change a person's eternity. God can use your life, your faithfulness, your witness to help other people know who Jesus is and come to saving faith in him. That is a tremendous and awesome reality. And we should be excited about that. We should be very thrilled that God would use any of us for that reason. But God can do it. And um, I guess I just want to qualify this real quick by saying it doesn't always look pretty. Just because people glorify God um, doesn't mean that everyone is always going to be looking at you in your place of work going, man, I love God. This, look at this person's workload. I love God. That's not how it's going to work. You just cruise back a couple uh, verses and you see he's, he's also talking about persecution. So though people will glorify God, it will happen in the midst of persecution as well. Okay, let me let me begin to close this thing up. So we are called to this high calling of being salt and light in the world. There are some things to be aware of. We can fall short of this calling. The goal, though, is that people would see the glory of God on display through us. So let's talk then about some things that we can do. First, we should grow in our awareness of our calling. I hope that you go away from this morning and you begin to think, okay, is this true? And if it is, 
how should that show up in my life? How could I be salt and light in this world? How can I go to school or work or wherever and do it with this awareness that God is sending me there on purpose? We should be people who are thinking strategically about how to engage with the watching world. We are sent people, and we don't only want to hang out with Christians. We were talking about that this week. It's like, man, when you, especially in ministry, you, you kind of get to the point where you're only hanging out with other believers. And you go, man, I haven't seen a lost person in a long time. And I don't even know what would happen if I did, because I'm just so insulated. We need to be strategic in thinking, how can I build relationships with people who don't know God yet? And some of you, that's very easy. All you have to do is go to work. Some of us have to be a little bit more creative. But we should be prayerfully and deliberately trying to display the beauty of Christ wherever we go. We will fail. It won't, we're not going to do this thing perfectly. But when we fail, we can even still display to people what it's like to live with God. We can confess our sins, we can acknowledge our shortcomings, and we can experience God's grace. All right, and then I think we need to grow in our confidence to share our faith. I'm going to give you a couple different ideas. I think not only are we called to live in a way that lets people know about the glory of God, but I think we're also supposed to talk about it. And uh, it doesn't show up in our text here, but it is on the surface of a lot of different texts in the Bible. We need to be people who can talk about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So we have a few different approaches here. One is we do things from the front to try to help you out. We do kind of the, the bigger picture, preaching the, the good news of the gospel in a way that invites people to respond. But another thing we have to grow in is your ability to have these conversations. And, and I've been working on some plans to, to do some training and to do some things so that you could grow in your confidence that if you get in a conversation, you would, you would just naturally and normally feel like, I can talk about spiritual things. I can talk about my Savior. This isn't weird. And so we want to grow in our ability to share our faith by doing personal evangelism training. And then here's, here's the last one. This one is important for today. Not only do we do evangelism from the front in church services, not only do we want you to be trained to do it wherever you go, but also we're going to create environments where we can do it together. And so we do Alpha, and we're doing that this afternoon. We're doing it right after the 1030 service. It's a smaller environment where we're, we're, we're kind of teeing up a bunch of people to have faith conversations. And uh, in that environment, I think it trains us to be better as evangelists. But even today, it's going to happen. And I want to invite you to pray with me that people will show up for Alpha and um, experience the love of God through these relationships that are being built with other people and through this time of community as we eat together and just create a safe place for people to ask questions and uh, to experience something of the love of God through his people. So I'm going to pray, and I want to show you a video real quick, and, and then we'll peace out. But let's pray. Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to be salt and light, that you would help us to embrace this high calling, and be well aware, Lord, help us to be well aware that we can fall short. But Lord, would you help us to show people our Savior? Um, let us be people who are living moment by moment in that reality that we are forgiven sinners who have experienced the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And let us live in a way that draws people to him. We pray in his name. Amen.